When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the How To Academy podcast, the bi-weekly show from London's home of big thinking. I'm Vas Christodoulou. Jesse Coomer was an English professor, suffering from what he called the modern human condition. In other words, he was a mess of stress and anxiety. He learned to combat that with breath training and cold exposure, and now teaches his techniques to athletes, the military and beyond. He's also the author of a new book called The Language of Breath. It's already out in the US and comes out in the UK in October. He joined Hannah McInnes a couple of weeks back to tell us more. I just feel like having met you for the last 10 minutes, I'm just going to ask a completely unprepared and unthought of question. You seem so good humoured. Is that because of all this breath work you're doing? (laughs) Well, I I think that life is a lot more fun when we get to laugh. Laughter might be my favourite breathing technique. So I I would say that when we learn to use our breath, we can learn how to feel safe. And when we learn how to feel safe, we feel like we can laugh, we can enjoy the moment. What would you mean when you say laughter is our best breathing technique? I would say it's my favorite. Yeah. Um, I would say one of the beautiful things about laughter is, is ultimately that usually it's with friends. It's in an environment where we do feel safe. It's in an environment that sometimes laughter is the thing that breaks the tension and reduces the stress of the moment. It's that thing that changes that moment. And it is something that we get from a part of ourselves that is typically there to try to help us in each moment and that we can share with other people. So we might come back to the sort of other people aspect of breath um, later, but have you always been evangelical about breathing and breath? Have you always known about the great power that it holds or did you come to it later in your life? No, I have to say that I was a person who most of my life, I was a ball of stress. I grew up as a, I would say an extreme extrovert, but I also had what I would consider to be extreme social anxiety. So this is an interesting combination to have whenever the thing that you get the most out of life, right? The thing that is that big thing. I really want to be around people and I want to share my story and I want to share their stories, but I'm also worried about what they're, what are they thinking about me? Well, you know, and, and am I going to make a fool out of myself and all these things. And so for the vast majority of my life, I was a ball of stress and I even tried to control this aspect 
of my life using, of course, the typical, you know, drugs, alcohol, things like that as I got older. And it wasn't until my early 30s, I would when I really even found out, okay, this this breathwork thing is a thing. And I, it all started whenever I was I, I was trying to basically improve my life. I, I realized that the drugs and alcohol, they just weren't working. Well, they worked at first, right? <laughs> they, they do work at first. And then I realized that, okay, this is not a, a long-term plan. And so I started to do a lot of the things that I would say most people are told to do. I wasn't sure exactly why they should work. But, you know, you, you, I started exercising. I started to try to eat right. Uh, I stopped the drugs uh, and the alcohol. Occasionally I have a beer, but, you know, it's one of those things where I was ultimately trying to deal with life instead of run away from life. And it was after I had been exercising, eating right. And a lot of these things really, really helped. A friend of mine introduced me to the concept of meditation. And so like so many people, and maybe uh, our listeners can re relate to this. I sat down, you know, crossed my legs, closed my eyes. And I was like, man, this is taking forever. I, I, I was just, I felt like I was a terrible meditator. <laughs> and so I started to research possible ways to improve my meditation, ways to, that I could become a better meditator. And this is when I discovered, oh, wow, people have been doing breathing techniques for thousands of years to, to achieve a lot of these same things. And so I started that, I would say that was in 2013. And I still wake up every morning just fascinated at how this works. And ever since that day, I did everything I could to learn and practice and experience as much as I can. And so it's brought me to this day. And I will say that I didn't realize how much tension and anxiety I, I was carrying around and how, how many laughs I was missing out on because I didn't feel safe in my own self. So is this something that you are, when you say you found this sort of lighter self. Is this something that you are doing and that you advocate that we are doing all the time? Because you start because you're talking about meditation. Is this something that you sit down and you concentrate and you practice a form of breathing like an exercise? Is it something that you do throughout the day or is it both? That's a great question. So it it is both. And ultimately what one of the things that we've been struggling with since as as long as humans have been humans. And it's something that I wish I would have been told much earlier in life. And it's something I don't think many of us really fully understand is that our experience in life is not just what we think it is. Oftentimes we think we have a conscious experience and that's it, right? We're just driving around this kind of this flesh robot and we have this consciousness and that that's, that's all there is. But the human experience is a combination of conscious and unconscious processes. And we don't fully, that's something that we don't really explain to our youth. We don't explain it to, I, I don't think most of us understand. We might've heard of, you have subconscious beliefs. We may have heard of unconscious bias. We, we might've heard of some of these concepts, but this is something that affects every second of every day. And it's, it's a part of you that is you, right? It's not something outside of you. Oftentimes we think about stress 
and anxiety as these things are kind of outside of us. But in reality, this is a message from the unconscious part of yourself that's trying to put you into a, a state where you can take action. So when it comes to breath work, you know, how does this interface? Well, my breathwork philosophy, the book that we're talking about is, is ultimately about how this process is always happening. Your unconscious is always trying to put you in the right state, physiological state, psychological state to survive and, and to thrive in whatever situation that it believes you're in. And this never ends. But what we found through, there's been thousands of years of practice uh, over a hundred years of scientific research and in decades in cognitive science is that we can interface with this part of ourselves, And we do that with every single breath we take. There is a connection in within us and it's at that breathing level. And in the book, I, I talk about the autonomic nervous system as the Rosetta stone of this, of this whole communication, this language. And it's not just the the CD set we got whenever we were trying to learn Spanish. At least that's what I, I don't know. I was trying to learn Spanish. I got the Rosetta Stone. Anybody else? <laughs> but ultimately what it is, it, it's a way that we can, we can start to decipher some of what these messages are. And one of them is stress. One of them is literally the feeling of anxiety, we, which is when your unconscious believes, okay, maybe we're under attack or maybe there's some kind of a strong stressor. And what's crazy is anxiety is actually, and it's been referred to by some neuroscientists as a, a superhuman power, this amazing thing that once served our ancestors very, very well, which is anxiety. And I know it seems crazy to think that, but really when we experience anxiety, we're experiencing an arousal and we're, we're getting all kinds of energy. But the problem is when we have this anxiety in the modern age, we're not in a place where we can run away from the danger, like it's a bear or, you know, our ancestors ran away from the, the wildebeest and things like that. Well, we're at work and there's a deadline. That's what, you know, in our psychology, our unconscious is saying, okay, this is a, this is potentially a dangerous thing. So it's doing what it knows how to do. And that is it's gearing us up for action. And this can cause us in the modern world to have an enormous amount of disconnection between what we are trying to do versus what unconsciously is trying to happen. Your unconscious is trying to make it so that you can run away or you can charge the, the, the hill or, or, or charge an attack. Well, you can't do that with a deadline. And so, so much of what breath work is, and this is what I explain in, in the language of breath, is learning how to interface with this part of you because it's never going away. There, you are a conscious and unconscious being, and we all are. And we are ultimately an organism that is designed for action. And it is these two simultaneous experiences, the conscious and the unconscious, that when they work together well, we have alignment. We we have confidence. We're laughing a lot and we're enjoying ourselves, and we're moving forward with confidence. When we're disconnected, we have, well, we have rumination, we have runaway anxiety. We have a lot of what I often call the modern human condition, where it's that disconnection between the world I live in and the world that my unconscious is trying to help me to survive in. 
So it's all the time. That's a long way of me answering that it is all the time. So how does the physical act of breathing help us to keep, you know, that language of breath that you talk yeah. talk about, how does that help us to stay? Because it's really grounded, isn't it? When those two connect, it's basically a feeling of being grounded and uh, <laughs> sort of secure within ourselves. So how does the physical act of breathing and how we use it help us in that way? The physical act of breathing, it's a, it's a, it is a physio-psychological act. So every breath that you take is connected to your psychology. So your emotional state, every breath that you take is connected to your physiology. And it's something that, you know, when you start to think about it, you start to control it. But it's something that also, if you're not thinking about it, the unconscious part of you controls it, right? So it it's this nexus, it's this connection. So when we use conscious breathing, we are using our nervous system, using the autonomic nervous system specifically as a mechanism to send a message to the unconscious. So let's, I, I'll even put it very simply, and then we can expound on that. Sometimes I say, if you want to be calm, breathe like you would if you were calm, right? If you think about when you're just sitting there, you're reading a book, you're listening to a podcast, how would you normally breathe? Well, typically we would be breathing probably pretty slow. It would not be labored. It would be if we're using our a functional breath pattern, which is what our nervous system looks for. It's always, it's always observing. How are we breathing to give it cues as far as are we in danger or are we not in danger? So you're probably breathing low and slow, probably breathing through your nose. All of these things are signals. They're all things that the nervous system picks up and it says, okay, these, the, the evidence that I've been able to find based off of all the things that I'm taking in indicates that based off of our breathing, we're safe. So what happens is the unconscious you will activate the parasympathetic nervous system. And when that happens, we become more relaxed. Our heart rate comes down, our blood sugar comes down, our blood circulation goes to our our digestive organs, our reproductive organs, and we can relax, we can recover, our hormones change. There's an enormous amount of, of change that we experience physically because once that unconscious part of you receives that signal, it says, okay, cool, I, I'll, I'll change the physiology because now we're safe. If you pick up a signal that, okay, now it's dangerous, right? And, and you can do that with your breathing. If you're running from that wildebeest right now, so this, this is that person in the audience who, again, reach out. I want to know your life. But you're probably breathing heavy, right? If you've ever seen a person and they're, they're about to get into a fight or if, if they're running away from a dangerous thing, right? They're probably breathing up in their chest, probably mouth breathing. These are all signals that are picked up. Our nervous system is always watching and it informs us that other part of us, that unconscious part of us as to what our threat level is. And the unconscious makes those physiological changes accordingly. And so with the language of breath, we can learn how to observe. It always starts with awareness, right? We want to observe how is it that I'm feeling right now? And the unconscious is going to speak in emotions, in sensations, in physiological things, like for instance, your heart rate. It's one of those things, if you're a runner, a lot of times a person will check where your heart rate is. Well, we want to check our heart rate. Are we actually pushing ourselves? When our heart rate is elevated, 
it's generally a signal, hey, great, we're in that sympathetic dominant state. Sometimes we call that an active state. Sometimes we oversimplify it and say fight or flight, but basically it means, hey, great, our organism, the unconscious is saying, let's let's be active, let's let's run, let's do things. That's great. Now, after you get done running, you want that heart rate to come down so you can start relaxing. But it's there's all kinds of research that shows a lot of times we do a workout and unless we do some kind of breathing protocol after that workout, we stay in that heightened state and we reduce our ability to recover. So one of the things that you might do, of course, as you're breathing, you want to do functional breathing, but after an act, a workout, maybe you would do a breathing protocol to downregulate your nervous system so that you, your unconscious says, oh, hey, I guess we're, we're done being active. It's time to go and be into that relaxed, that recovery state. And so this is never not happening. It's always happening. What, what would that look like, that time yeah. between uh, exercise and sort of the more the more powerful breath and then uh, telling, regulating it so that you make the most of it? Because it's really interesting. You said basically otherwise you might not make the most of your exercise if you don't yeah. consciously. That's right. So when I train athletes, one of the biggest things is, okay, we want to work out really hard. So you want to really rev up the, the engines. And then you want to be able to recover as long as you can. You want to maximize that recovery time. So some of the signals that we're going to send, we want to send it with proper breath mechanics. So we teach a person how to, in this case, we're going to breathe a functional breath. So a lot of times we're just breathing up here in the chest and maybe we're mouth breathing. So we would learn, okay, we're going to breathe in through the nose. We're going to expand the lower lobes. So we're going to expand in the belly in the ribs and the chest, and we're going to relax the exhale out. So a simple, a simple thing that a lot of people, we mess this signal up. We, we want to send a message to the unconscious to relax. So people say, Hey, just take a deep breath, right? Just take a deep breath. And what happens is we'll go, <gasps> right. And you end up sending a more stress signal than you meant than you were originally. So what happens is your nervous system picks up shoulder breathing, chest breathing, and mouth breathing, right? When it does that, it says, wow, we must be breathing up into the chest. We only do that when we're running away from a predator or when we're charging a hill. I guess it's time to activate more. And so we become more activated as opposed to relaxing. So to take a deep breath, let's learn how to take a deep breath on How To Academy today. So I want you to find your belly button, okay? So if you find your belly button and then just measure down two fingers below your belly button and then save that spot, and just imagine that you could put a marble in the center of your abdomen from that spot, okay? That is where the breath should start. It's as if you're blowing that marble up from the size of a marble to a softball. And it should expand in every direction, down there, down in the tummy. Then the ribs are going to come into play. They're going to expand outward. And only after those two things happen, then the chest is going to expand then you're going to relax the exhale out nice and slow, okay? And this is how we take a deep breath to send a message. We're going to relax. All of the physiology is going to hear that. So belly, ribs, chest, and then you can just let it out. Now, you can let it out through your mouth or your, your nose. You want to inhale through your nose and just relax it out as long as you can. That is how we send that message to the unconscious Let's relax. Let's calm down. 
And the beautiful thing is when you do it that way, because you have to understand your nervous system, you know, the unconscious you is using your nervous system to say, well, where are we breathing? How fast are we breathing? And it's observing all of this. And so what we want to do is, is use the right tone and inflection. That's what we call it in language of breath. So if a person says, calm down, right? And they're just screaming at you, yeah, obviously it's not going to work. I mean, you can try it if you want to, but it's just not going to work. <laughs> but if a person uses the proper tone, something that's calming, something, you know, calm down, it's okay, right? There's a difference. And this is something we really focus on in the book, uh, Language of Breath, because oftentimes it's it's not the words that you say, right? If, you, if anybody's been, ever been in a relationship, you've heard, it's not what you said, it's how you said it. And so it's the same with breathing. If you're going to take a deep breath, it matters how you take that deep breath. If you're going to do a breathing technique, it matters how you take that breathing uh, technique. And so we focus on how that is going to enhance the message to the nervous system, you know, through the nervous system to the unconscious parts of you. Let's relax. Let's calm down. You're safer than you think you are. It's okay. And when you do that, you can start to take actions. You're less afraid. You're coming from a far more aligned position because your unconscious is not trying to, to it says, okay, I guess you don't need so much energy to run and fight. I guess you're just at a social gathering. Yes, you're excited because you're with friends. And yes, that's that's you, you're going to have some higher level of awareness but you don't need to be able to run away or fight. Okay, we can down-regulate that a little bit and put you in a really comfortable place. So that same technique to take you out of exercise into a normal day to make sure the most of it is, is presumably the same technique to relax you in a state of kind of overwhelm and also to help you go to sleep, which is when a lot of people really need to be relaxed. It's the same thing that you do. Feel that marble, fill it up. That's right. And what happens is if you're really activated, you know, you've maybe some, someone really scared you or you just got in a car accident or maybe you just did high intensity interval training or something like that, man, you're breathing pretty heavy. And so what we try to do for if, if, if you're trying to do this, you, you start where you are. You want to become aware. Okay. Where am I unconscious right now? It's breathing heavy. Okay. I can't really do incredibly slow breathing comfortably at that point. It really wouldn't work that well. But what I can do is I can start lengthening my exhales. I can breathe functionally, lengthening the exhales. And over time, the unconscious is saying, huh, seems as though this breathing is speaking some safety. I, I'm going to relax. I'm going to calm down a little bit. And then before you know it, you're breathing in nice and slow. You're exhaling nice and slow. A typical cadence that we would shoot for in this kind of case would be in for four seconds out for eight seconds. And so you're doubling. So it's a ratio of one to two inhale to exhale. But if you're really scared, that's going to be really hard. So, Hey, just do your best. Breathe in, lengthen it as long as you can. Oh man, I'm really, I'm still really scared. Okay. That's fine. We're just going to calm that nervous system down. Breathe in and just relax it out nice and slow and do it just as slow as you can. And then eventually you're going to calm down enough that you are doing maybe a more regimented technique. The techniques sometimes, like I say in the book, you know, sometimes we look at ourselves like we're a, like a machine and we want to type in magic codes, you know, some kind of secret code. Breathing techniques aren't really like that because we're not really a machine, right? 
we're a relationship between these two parts of ourselves, a conscious and an unconscious part of you. And so you, as the conscious thinking part of you, you're taking conscious control of your breathing and you're just saying, hey, relax, just relax, just relax. And this part of you is all, hey, but are you sure? Are we, are you sure we okay? Are we okay? And then you're just, hey, it's okay. I'm, I, I'm the critical thinking part. The unconscious you is not critical thinking. It does a lot of amazing processes very quickly, but it's always jumping to conclusions. And we know that sadly enough, we have a negativity bias and that's part of what's kept our species alive. If you see a, uh, a stick in the forest and, uh, you know, a part of you might say, oh, that's a snake, right? So, so the unconscious part of you picks up the pattern and it says that could be a snake. Well, it might not be a snake, but if it is, it's better that you recoil and that you get really, oh my gosh, you know, activated. And then it's only after you've taken that action that you can consciously start saying, is it a, is that really a snake? And so that's how it is with just about everything in life. And, you know, we don't, I don't know, again, maybe your listeners are tangling with snakes a lot, but we have these other snakes in life, right? We will react oftentimes with a negativity bias. That's our unconscious reaction trying to protect us. But then we have to think, am I really in an amazing danger right now? Is it really life or death? And even if it, even if like there is some real threat, I, I need to be able to relax a little bit more so I can concentrate and I can critically think about that. And I can say, well, I need to let my other half know. I need to let this part of me that's trying to help me to survive. I need to tell it to calm down. So, okay, I'm going to do some breathing techniques specifically in that moment. And I'm going to tell it to calm down. And being aware yeah. of our negativity bias is very helpful because it helps us to be more reasonable with ourselves. Just to, just to say in that moment of fear, you know, actually you're, you're wired to think the worst and it's not always, it's not always the worst. And um, you mentioned uh, earlier that when we were breathing out, we could breathing in through your nose and out could be mouth or nose. Is there a preference? Nasal breathing is always better. And I'll, I'll give you a few things about your nose, all right? So I don't know how everyone feels about the nose, but you should love your nose. Your nose is the first part of, it literally is you're the first part of your immune system. So it, there is a filtration system. There's these things called turbinates in your sinuses. And it filters out an enormous amount of what you breathe in, as long as you're breathing in through the nose. It will humidify the air you breathe. It cools or heats the air you breathe. It makes it as perfect as possible for getting of the right absorption and to avoid irritation and inflammation in your alveoli, which are these tiny little sacs in your lungs that are very delicate and they are where that gas exchange happens. And when we're talking about the turbinates, what happens is as long as you're not dehydrated, okay, if you breathe through the nose, it's going to pick out in a, a large percentage of all of the little things that are floating in the air that we really, most of the time we can't see. Sometimes you can see it, but some, but a lot of times you just can't see like things like pollen and dust, uh, dander, things like that. And a lot of times there's, you know, there's viruses or there are bacteria stuck to those things. Well, if you're breathing through your nose, those things are caught in the turbinates and they're enveloped in mucus and they're rendered harmless. If you breathe in through your mouth, you get 100% of that. It goes right down to your alveoli. So, so it, there's a huge difference in breathing through your nose and through your mouth. 
The reason why we breathe a lot of times in through our mouth is because it's about 50% easier, right? So, so it is harder to breathe in and out through your nose, right? We, we feel there's that resistance in the inhale. However, this actually is perfectly suited to facilitate a functional breath. We talked about, okay, we need to expand that marble into a softball, you know, into our abdomen. We need to activate that diaphragm. And the diaphragm is one of these interesting muscles. It's, it's hooked up to both sides of your brain. Just in case you receive a brain injury on one side, you can still breathe, which is, that's, that was good thinking. And, but it has very few muscle spindles. So it's difficult to actually say, I'm going to feel my diaphragm flex. It's, it's not easy to do that. You can do that with most of your muscles. You've got hundreds of muscle spindles where you can really feel that flex. It's difficult to do with your diaphragm. However, if you breathe in through your nose, you're providing that resistance and that helps to activate the diaphragm. Just like when you go lift weights, it helps to activate your muscles. When you breathe in through your nose, it helps to activate the diaphragm. And we understand that when we activate the diaphragm, we're sending messages to the unconscious that we're safe, right? Because we're breathing low and slow through the tummy, down low. So there's a lot of reasons. Now, exhaling through your nose, when, especially when it comes to if you're doing a conscious breathing technique, it's not that big of a deal to exhale through your mouth. And in some cases, if you're really trying to make that exhale go as long as you can, some cases it's easier to use your mouth because you can purse your lips and almost like you're breathing through a straw as you're exhaling. However, we know that if you exhale through your nose, your nose actually stays more malleable. It's, it's not going to get stuffed up quite as much. So if you want, if, if you're a person who keeps getting stuffed up noses, you might be a guy like me who talks all the time, right? And, and so the more we use our mouth, right? I'm exhaling a lot through my mouth as I'm speaking. But if we exhale through our nose, we retain a lot of the malleability. So our nose stays more healthy if we inhale and exhale through our nose. And then in a, lastly, I'm just, I'm a nose lover. So I've got to give you all these, these nose facts. But lastly, if you exhale through your nose, you, re, you retain about 40% more water. So we, a lot of times we have, a lot of the water that we have evaporates through our mouth. So when I train runners, one of the things we often do is we try to help them maintain nasal breathing as long as we possibly can because we have that water plan. We want to make sure that we have that hydration plan set up. So we don't want to lose that hydration um, any faster than we have to. So your nose is a beautiful, wonderful organ. And sometimes I get carried away talking about it, but use your nose. Well, it's interesting you say runners because I think um, using your nose when you're conscious and aware of it is one thing. And then trying to use your nose when, for example, you're doing exercise like running um, is another thing. And then, of course, there's the sleeping matter. And um, yes. that leads to this idea of whether you should tape your mouth when you sleep to absolutely oh ensure. So what are your thoughts on that? So I am a, I think as with most things, there is good to be done in certain cases. But I think a lot of times we as human beings say, well, if a little's good, then let's just do it all the time. During your wakeful hours, for instance, sometimes people are mouth taping while they exercise or their mouth taping just throughout the day when they're awake. And honestly, I mean, your lips work just fine in my, in my opinion, right? We, we can close our mouth. If, if for some reason you just can't break the habit of mouth breathing throughout the day, I guess, you know, you can tape your, your mouth shut if you want to, but 
But during the daytime, mouth taping is not a great thing. And there are a lot of, you'll see a lot of athletes now that are, are getting into mouth taping. And ultimately, there is a reason why we can breathe in and out through our mouth. It is more of a, maybe a, we might consider it to be a, an escape hatch. Uh, if for some reason we can't breathe out of this way, we want to make sure we're not going to suffocate. And for athletes, there are times when nasal breathing is appropriate and there's times when mouth breathing is appropriate. But mouth taping at night, of course, you're unconscious. You can't choose to keep your mouth shut. And what this has caused in many cases, again, your unconscious is always there. It never turns off. This is why an alarm clock works, actually, because it's always listening and it's not because you're not consciously listening for the alarm clock, but the uh, the unconscious you is always observing. And if it hears a sound that it feels is, is hey, that's that could be danger. It's going to kick it up to your conscious self, that conscious thinking part of yourself. And it's going to say, hey, deal with this. And then you're like, huh? You know, and that's why it works. Now, when but but you're having a dream, you're asleep. The unconscious part of you is like, okay, we're sleeping. It's still picking up signals. So if you're mouth breathing at night, it's very, very likely you are chest breathing at night. And when we talk about how this works within the language of our conscious and unconscious using the language of breath, we understand that tone and inflection matter, right? Presence, just presence matters. And so it's as if all night, if you're mouth breathing, you're breathing up in the chest as if all night you're screaming, ah, you know, it's, it's just, you're not getting a, a restful night's sleep. Now on, when we look at the biomarkers, right? When we look at the, 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 the numbers, what we see is that the result of that is that the unconscious you is keeping you in that active state, even though you are sleeping. And what that means is you might have chronically high cortisol. You may not get a good night's sleep. You might have all of a lot of the same biomarkers that you would have during wakeful hours under stress, you're having as you sleep. So you wake up and this happens to an enormous amount of us here in the States. We love our coffee. You know, we, we drink it by the gallon and um, it's, I like coffee too. I'm not going to, I'm not going to bad mouth it because I, you know, it is a thing, but, but so much overconsumption of caffeine happens because we're getting a terrible night's sleep. So should a person mouth tape? Well, in many cases, yes. In many cases, mouth tape can be a, a, a wonderful solution to the problem of mouth breathing at night because you, you want to stop that chest breathing. You want to breathe in through the nose so it activates the diaphragm. So you're getting that nice presence and tone in every breath. So your unconscious is like, okay, we are going to give you deep sleep. We're going to get you recovered. You're going to grow muscle. You're going to have low blood sugar throughout the night. It's going to be great tonight because it doesn't feel threatened. However, mouth taping should be done only when you know that you can actually breathe through your nose. And so there are, so I, when I work with clients, we make sure that is the case. And, and what I typically will do is I, is I will recommend not for a person with a hairy face like mine, but there, there is tape that will go around your, your lips. And it's, and so that way, if you, you just have to, you can breathe through your mouth. And the reason for that is, is because it's possible that if you mouth tape, I mean, if you, I don't know if you're, if it's, you're doing the get in the van and shut up type of a mouth tape, right? With the, with the duct tape, it's, it's possible that you could suffocate yourself. 
So there is that, and that's not a very popular opinion in the breathwork world. Um, but I would recommend if you want to do mouth taping, just mouth tape the tip of your mouth or mouth tape around your mouth. Don't do the all the way across, unless you're for sure that you can breathe through your nose just fine. Okay, really interesting. Oh my gosh, I've got so many more questions, but I also know that the How To Academy audience always have amazing questions. So I'll weave them in and then come back to mine. But also this is um, important because it relates to what we were just saying, which is, uh, Michael says, I recall Wim Hof, who obviously, as I said at the start, you you teach his techniques, trained his techniques, re- recommending breathing in through the mouth, if possible, during his breathwork program, maybe to get more oxidation. Is that right? So um, I, I used to be a Wim Hof instructor. Uh, I don't, I, I, I teach language of breath right now. That's, that's my main thing. Uh, but yeah, Wim was, uh, Wim Hof was my first teacher. I trained with him uh, for many years. We've, we've done a lot of uh, work together. And this is where he and I, we kind of disagree. Mouth breathing is not the end of the world if you do it on a specific session. So for instance, if you sit there, for instance, like a 15-minute session where your goal is uh, hyperventilation, it's not the end of the world there. But nasal breathing is always going to be superior if you can do it appropriately. Sometimes nasal breathing is going to cause you discomfort. And that's because a lot of us have, we've not really used our nose very much. And so mouth breathing can be a great change to that. Now, when it comes to for instance, uh, when Wim Hof is doing uh, that style of breath work, which uh, is a what we call a hyperventilative technique, so or I call superventilative um, technique in my book. So I do superventilation with the language of breath as well. Um, what our goal in this actually is, we're exhaling a lot of CO2 in that case. So we're inhaling a whole bunch and we're exhaling a whole bunch. And so... Ultimately, mouth or nose in those kinds of techniques, it mostly depends on your comfort level. The other thing is, if you stay nasal during those, you're less likely to have what I call the runaway sympathetic dominance that sometimes you can have if you're chronically going in and out through the mouth. And so what this leads to is a generally a more pleasant and a more controlled uh, session uh, whereas if you only focus on mouth and you're not at least trying to use your nose on at least the inhale, then you can ramp up that nervous system really, really high and sometimes have more anxiety at the end of it as a result than than even before you started the session. So just in terms of those the superventilation and the kind of practices taking things further, you know, do, do you advocate that everybody should sort of be looking into doing that as a kind of superpower and a drug that replaces the other sorts of drugs that people revert to? I think that oftentimes when we get into how a lot, a lot of people find breath work is through hyperventilative or superventilation techniques where we're doing overbreathing. We're getting a lot of times these are, are very popular because they make you feel really good. And this is where when we practice the language of breath, we're really focusing on listening. We're really focusing on that awareness. So anytime we do any kind of breathing technique and, it, and within the language of breath, it's a philosophy of breath work. It's not a specific technique. So we have all kinds of different techniques, uh, superventilative. We have uh, kinds that would be considered CO specifically to CO2 tolerance training, autonomic nervous system protocols, all sorts of different techniques. But when we practice with the language of breath, and when you're really wanting to get the most out of 
your breathwork practice, you want to make sure that you're always able to be aware. And sometimes when we practice these hyperventilative techniques, it's for the purpose of just getting high or it's purpose of, of, of numbing ourselves as opposed to forming that better union within ourselves. So when you practice, for instance, the superventilation, or um, we call it the, the, in, the interruption protocol or the hypoxic focused awareness exercise in the language of breath book, when you practice these techniques, there's always an element of introception involved. And what that is, is ultimately our sense of internal awareness. So the, so what that means is as we're practicing this, we are actively listening to the response of the unconscious. And when we do this, we can become really more comfortable with those stress signals because when we practice hyperventilation or when we practice sometimes I, I like to call it superventilation because it's just you're in control of it it's not like you're hyperventilating uncontrollably when we practice those we can, with control we can start to learn to become more comfortable with the voice of the unconscious which is it's sending you a stress signal it's saying okay here are some stress signals and we can start to become more comfortable with those things as well so I, I'm a big fan of superventilation. I use it a lot, um, but it's something that you want to practice without trying to dissociate or use it as, like you say, as a replacement for a drug. We want to try to use it as a way to become more comfortable and more at one with ourselves and that unconscious part of you that's trying to speak to you. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And what what would you say in the time that you've been uh, learning about teaching and practicing breathwork is the most extraordinary thing you've discovered, whether whether it be simple or whether it be complicated, the most the the, the thing that just you wouldn't believe what it can do. I I would say that it's the one thing that you'll never forget in your car. It costs nothing other than the time and some money to learn how to use it. And it's something that allows you to become more in touch with a part of you that's always been there. And, and again, we've been struggling with since we've been human. And the, and, and I mean, it's, it, it's the thing that can help us become in a proper state to eat or sleep or, um, or have activities or things like that. It's always there. And it's never, it's never something that you you'll ever just compartmentalize. It even if you don't practice breath work, your breathing is influencing everything in you. All thirty seven point two trillion cells are being influenced by how you breathe. Your blood sugar, your adrenaline, your noradrenaline, your uh, all of your hormones are being influenced because. Your breathing is the one thing that influences everything. 
Okay, another uh, question from uh, Madeline. In a world that only really values growth and productivity, work rate, etc., breathing consciously and gently must seem to be some like an unnecessary waste of time. So when you're trying to convince the world, should you appeal to the fact that breathing makes us less anxious and therefore more productive? Or should you say breathing can be a good thing in itself, regardless of productivity? I love that question because you're so right. And I think oftentimes we look at breath work as the thing that is just well okay we're going to sit here and light the candles and uh it's it's it has nothing to offer us in any other aspect of life i would do and i've heard this i would do breath work but i'm too busy um i would do breath work but i've i want to uh, i'm I'm more of a go-getter and and i'm not just the type of i'm not a kumbaya type of person and it, it it's so it's such a misunderstanding of what we are as as humans because we are, I don't care what you think, we are creatures, we're organisms of action. And every part of us, all 37.2 trillion cells, they're working together to put you into the right state to take the right actions. And so often, and this is, I think we can all relate to this. We've all had rumination or analysis paralysis, right? We know what that is. I boy, I, I just can't stop thinking about it, but I almost feel paralyzed. I don't, I I can't make any move because I'm afraid. I'm too afraid to move. I have too much anxiety, like you mentioned. Well, what that is, is it's your conscious and unconscious are are not working together. You got to understand the unconscious you is capable of processing enormous amounts of information, but it can't think about the future. It can't think about the past. It's only living in the present. And it can't critically think. It's not going to be able to really analyze something. But your conscious self the conscious parts of, of, of your, your thinking, they can think about the future, the past, they can critically analyze. So you might be thinking about something that's going to happen tomorrow, right? Consciously. Uh, it's, I'm, I'm thinking about that thing. And the unconscious part of you is saying, oh my God. And it doesn't understand it's not happening right now. So it's going to activate you, right? We call this rumination. We call this anxiety. And so it ruins and you don't get a good night's sleep. The next day you don't take actions the way you, you could have if you would have been well rested. But if you could speak calm into that relationship, you'd sleep better, right? Or, and then the next day you go to your job interview or whatever it was that was making you feel that anxiety. And I don't know how many of you, uh, we, we can relate. Sometimes we say in the modern world, we say, I was too in my head, Right. Well, we want to be in that state of flow. And what that state of flow ultimately is, is when we can start relying on the unconscious, we can be relaxed enough so that the unconscious parts of you can just kind of take over that sometimes in, we call that being in the zone in sports. Well, what happens is if we have, if we have disconnection here, then it's not going to happen. But if we can use our breath to dial back our autonomic arousal, dial it back. Let us, let that unconscious, you know, Hey, we're safe. You can relax a little bit. Then you're taking actions boldly and with confidence because you're in alignment. You're, you're able to critically think and that unconscious part of you is like, okay, here's the appropriate amount of energy for this situation. You're not shaking. You're not paralyzed. You're not uh, sometimes we say fight, flight, or freeze. You're not doing any of the, the deer in the headlights. You're able to take action. You're able to be more productive because the team that is you. And so in the language of breath book, I talk about how the most healthy you is a team. When these two parts of you, you are working together, 
you'll be surprised at how much more you get done, how much more relaxed you feel, how much better you are after you're done doing the thing, how, how you can relax far easily, more easily. You're connecting with other people far more easily because you're, you've got this team that's working together. Thank you so much for that question. That was, that was brilliant. Thank you very much indeed for that question. I see I said the how-to questions, audience questions are always superb. And Raki says, um, what is the best technique for reducing inflammation in the body? When is the best time to practice and for how long? Okay, so when it comes to, when it comes to this sort of thing, we have to understand that there's more nuance to it. So it's a little bit more complex than, hey, there's a, because you are more than a machine where we can type in a code and say, this is the thing that's going to reduce inflammation. And that is sometimes how we, uh, we look at breath work. Hey, here's a simple technique to reduce inflammation. Um, and this is the best time and just type in the code. So I understand the question. I just want to kind of put that as a premise. And in, in when you read my book, you'll understand kind of, I kind of unpack that, but I don't want to unpack it all right now, but because um, we don't have time, but I want to give you something that you can take with you right now, but definitely take a look at how, how I explain this, uh, because I think it'll help you make sense of it uh, even more. But ultimately, what we want to try to do is, is, is try to reduce them by helping ourselves to relax. Oftentimes, what happens is when we have pain, uh, the unconscious is saying, okay, we must be in danger, and it activates your physiology. So it's very difficult to relax. When it's difficult to relax, you can't recover very well. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to allow ourselves to recover. And so what we want to try to do is breathe low, slow through the nose, and the technique that we mentioned before, uh, in for four, out for eight, if you can manage to stay with that for long periods of time, that's going to be the best thing that give you the healing that you need. Now, in the moment, if, if, you're, if you're looking for some kind of uh, some, maybe some pain relief in the moment, there are more active techniques that can speak to the unconscious. Hey, give me some of the good stuff. Give me some of the... Uh, the happy chemicals, the pain-killing chemicals, the things that are going to, and, and one of those is norepinephrine, which is a very strong anti-inflammatory. And that would be something that is going to be more active because you are activating the sympathetic nervous system. It's not a long-term plan. So don't rely on techniques like that. It's just, man, I'm really hurting right now. And I don't want to take an Advil. I want to do something more natural, something that's more healthy for myself. So in that case, you might do a technique that I love to call sniff, sniff, poo. And I would love to guide you through it right now. I it's also sometimes people call this different names. I call it sniff, sniff, poo. You're not going to forget it, are you? Because it's I you, this, this. I mean, it's such a silly name. When I became a dad. There was a gene activated that makes me like cheesy dad jokes. So I said, okay, sniff, sniff, poo is going to be the way I, I say this from now on. But what we're going to do is we're going to inhale for, for two sniffs, okay, through the nose. And the exhale is going to be out through the mouth. And you're going to inhale to about 70% full on the first sniff. And then to about 100%, like a big, big full gulp on the second one. And then we're going to relax out for a poo. And, and you don't have to say poo, but, but anyway, you can go, you're going to go sniff, sniff. So 70% full. Okay. That's right. And I know on zoom, uh, my microphone probably is going to make it so you can't hear my inhale, but, uh, but I, I, but I'll just use my, my hands here, but and maybe I'll just guide you through with my voice. So let's just do five of these together. 
And again, this is just to help you get through this moment because ultimately for most of us, and it's going to depend on why you have the inflammation and all these other things. So, so again, this is, all of these questions are more complex. Um, but, and so there's no simple fix to, to and just sometimes I, I call it, I don't want to say there's clickbait, right? So it's not just one simple, you know, thing, but it can, this thing can really help us feel better. So let's do it. All right. So everybody kind of be in a place, please don't do this if you're driving or if you're in the bathtub. Um, if you're running from a wildebeest, you can try it. But uh, but anyway, we're going to try this. So here we go. So let's just take a deep breath. So we're all in the same breath. So deep breath in and relax it out. All right. And so we're going to go sniff, 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 sniff. One more sniff, sniff. And just go into normal breathing. And you may notice a euphoric feeling, a nice relaxed feeling. You might feel kind of, you know, kind of good. That is okay. That is good. It's good to feel good, right? Now, there are a lot of techniques that claim, hey, you do this technique, it will eliminate inflammation and all these things. But I will tell you just to beware because it depends on why the inflammation's there. A lot of the, a lot of the answers that you get in life are unsatisfying whenever they are. Well, it depends, right? And I don't. I hate to be that guy, right? But I'm a dad, and I have to give it to my son all the time. So it depends. But if you can stay in a parasympathetic state, so you can stay relaxed using that four in, eight out, as long as you can, you know, you're going to likely heal. That for many cases, the inflammation is there to to to, to show. Hey, this is where I need healing. Okay. So we need to put that, turn on the healing side, right? Let the unconscious do what it does so well, which is healing. You're, you don't consciously decide to heal. That's you, but it's the unconscious you. Now, if it's, if it's chronic, oh man, I just, I just need a break. Sniff, sniff, poo is a great choice. Lastly, I'm going to share this last technique with you and I'll take as many questions as you like. Um, is, is one that I call the cadence of bliss and it's very short, very, very quick. We're going to breathe in for four seconds expanding the ribs, really expanding them. We're going to hold our breath for seven seconds with absolutely full lungs. And then we're going to exhale for eight seconds. And it's going to be a nice relaxed exhale for eight. So try to make it nice and smooth. Okay. So we're going to take a deep breath in all the way in. So we're just going to be on the same breath. So here we go. And then let it out. All right. Now we're going to breathe in. Ribs, chest, hold, two, three, four, five, six, seven, breathe out, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, good, breathe in, belly, ribs, chest, hold with full lungs, three, four, five, six, seven, out, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. In, belly, ribs, chest, hold, two, three, four, five, six, seven, out, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Last one, in, belly, ribs, chest, 
Holton's smile. It supercharges it. Five, six, seven, out. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and go back into normal breathing. Honestly, I am very, very sad to say that that's our hour over because it's been so wonderful talking to you. And I feel like actually one of the most practical and useful how-to hours that I can remember. So hopefully we might be able to steal you back for another another session because it's wonderful having you with us. Thank you so much, Jesse. Thank you very, very much. And um, email us his name and book, please. Oh, well, his name. Jesse, you do a last goodbye with yeah. you. I would love to give you my my uh, my my book is the language of breath and my name is Jesse Coomer. You can find me at jessecoomer.com or you can Google the language of breath and you can find this in um, it's in pre order. It comes out on October twenty fourth worldwide and you can pre order now. We're also doing a uh, a challenge so that I'm going to guide people through uh, six weeks of you get the book and you come through the course with me and. We're going to do this together. So if you really want to take the deep dive, get on my list and I'll let you know when that starts. We're doing a free challenge to kind of get your feet wet. And then uh, we, uh, we've we got a whole uh, big thing that we're going to be doing with the book launch. So all kinds of fun things coming up. Wonderful. Okay, well, we heard it here first in October. That's very exciting for us. Um, Jesse, thank you very, very much indeed. Thanks so much for having me. This episode starred Jesse Coomer and was presented by Hannah McInnes. It was produced by Luke Naylor-Perrett and I make the show with Esme Bright and Nicole Wong. Our editor is John Doughty. We host events with people like Jesse all year round and members of our How To Plus programme can join these live streams for free and get big, big discounts on our live events in London. Find out more on our website and try the code POD50, that's P-O-D-5-0, for a half-price discount. Till next time, I'm Vash Christodoulou. Thanks for listening.